And I'm pastor of the First Baptist Church of Redmond, Washington. Microsoft has his main office there. No, Bill Gates does not go to our church, nor does he do anything for us. Uh, but uh, God is merciful. He's hired people who come to our church. Uh, we're friends of the Summers, David and Christy Summers. And, well, not just friends, my wife is Christy's sister. So we're like the first family members to come and visit over here in Indonesia. So they took us to, well, I say it right, Jogakarta. And we saw temples and... Um, I climbed to the top of the temple and then almost needed to be resuscitated and then I came back down. Uh, but we had a good time. Thanks for, um, thanks for them for inviting us. Thanks for letting me come uh, to be with you. I've enjoyed my time here. Uh, let's go ahead and look at the things that God is going to do for us. We're going to be looking this morning at Mark chapter 1 verses 4 through 8. And uh, key verse for that is John the Baptist. And I think that's a terrible translation. Because it's not like John the Baptist, Philip the Presbyterian, you know. Uh, Baptist is really a noun verbal action word, so I'm going to call him John the Baptizer. Because that's what he was known as, is he would show up and cause people to have a time of uh, baptism of repentance to approach God. Uh, John the Baptizer appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What's going on in the world? God knows. God knows what is happening. Forgive me, uh, I am uh, an American. Uh, sometimes that's a good thing, lots of times it's a bad thing. Uh, we Americans have the tendency to be the, uh, I'm only 5'6", but the biggest people in the room, loudest people in the room, uh, the most talkative people in the room. Uh, as a matter of fact, the only class of people like Americans are people who are in prison. Uh, they did a survey of people who were incarcerated for crimes, and they tried to find out what are they like? What is the kind of person who gets arrested for a felony? What are they like? They tested them, analyzed them. Every one of them had the number one character trait of self-confidence. That's why they felt happy to go do the crime that they did, because, well, they deserved it. That's what they should have had. Why didn't they have that before? Uh, we are the same way. Uh, after World War II is over, 1950, Gallup asked high school seniors, uh, are you an important person? Uh, at that time, only 12% of Americans said yes. In 2005, Time Magazine picked that up and said, are you American, are you an important person? By that time, 80% said yes. And then just recently, they asked the question again in the term of finances, are you in the top 1% of earners? of everyone in the United States. 19% of Americans said they were in the top 1%. And by the way, when they, when they check and see how smart our children are, how well they do in school, I'm sure, you know, David over at Espaha, they do a better job than we do. Uh, they said, are you really good at math? Americans rank 25th in the world in math. However, um, the majority of Americans said, oh yes, my child is in the top 1% of math. So, so I know there's a reputation, sorry, some, it's somewhat uh, deserved, and uh, I apologize ahead of time for any or all of those things. Um, when we look at John the Baptizer, remember he and Jesus were cousins. John the Baptizer, before he was born, recognized that there was something special about this one that was going to be born uh, from Mary, uh, what was his job? 
He's the one who prepared for way for Jesus. What does that mean? To me, as I understand that, he is the one who began to do the things that Jesus was going to do. He preached repentance. He preached conversion. He said it wasn't good enough what your ethnicity is, what your uh, religion is, what your connection is. You need to know God personally. He picked up that message. And then Jesus is the one, uh, the Gospel of Mark is going to open very soon uh, with some other verses where Jesus is going to pick up that same message, repent and be converted. Uh, How did he do this? He did this in an unusual way. He not only announced Jesus was coming, he had a message that was uniquely tied to Jesus' life and message. Uh, What was the area of Israel he primarily was in? He was in like the southern part of the Dead Sea near the Jordan River. He traveled a little bit. He didn't just have a shrine that people would come to. He would mix among the people, wanted to know the people, wanted to connect with them because he was sent from God to connect people with him. And as is the case today, you know, what is God's plan for the age? How how do people hear God's message? Uh, It's us as we say something, as we say something to somebody. And John the baptizer was uniquely sent to say something to these people. Uh, This is a snapshot of the general area he was in. It was rolling badlands. When you think of the United States, uh, Arizona, New Mexico, uh, Australia has some open, dry areas like this in the north. This is the kind of area he was traveling in. Barren, chalky soil, a lot of dirt, a lot of things. Uh, When brush would appear, uh, you had to stay away from it because that's where the snakes would hide. So if you went to take a break underneath, you might feel something and then suddenly get up and move very quickly. Uh, I like to say, look at this wilderness as also an image of the hearts of the people that God sent John to speak to. They were alive, but they were dry. And they were aware that there was something that was missing in their lives. Uh, John, again, I said I was a baptizer. I like, I like the way that that sounds. I think that's better. Um, What was new was not that he was baptizing. Other people did this. Um, If you were wanting to become a worshiper of the God of Israel, Jehovah God, and you were not born a Jew, you could come in, you could embrace Judaism, but there was a process. And the process very simply was that you recognized that as an outsider, God did not owe you anything. Uh, We would say that today even. You would say that God had no reason to include you in his blessings and his gifts and his promise of peace in the future. Well, we could say that again today. But what was different was for you to approach them and join their religious system and have rights to be with them in worship, you had a very public confession of your sins. Uh, coming down here on the plane, uh, long trip, kind of sleepy, and I spilled something on my clothes. And noticed it when we landed, Doug, there's stuff on your clothes. Oh, no. So we wash it, and then, okay, very good. But you look strange if you're kind of got damp or stuff on your clothes. So what they did is they would have a time where they would uh, talk, meet, but they would be a public confession of sin, and there would be a washing an outward symbol of an inward change. Ah, sounds familiar. But his baptism was a baptism of repentance. So you would come in and repent of your sins. There would be somebody there, in this case it was John, who would be speaking a message of approaching God through confessing your sin. 
and then you would self-immerse. You would be in a lake or in a river, you would make your statement, and then you would bend your knees and come back up, and you would self-immerse. So the water was kind of deep, because down here you're gonna have to lay on the ground to baptize yourself. So they would do that, and then they would walk off. So that was John's message, and that what made him unique was that he said everyone needed this kind of communication about, with, and to God. Because, you know, our Jewish friends would think just because they were in Israel, because they had gone through a bar mitzvah boys, bat mitzvah girls, they had answered a lot of questions correctly, that that would demonstrate that God was going to save them. Uh, but no, God wants us to come to him individually with the idea that, uh, God, I am guilty of my sins. I understand that. And so when John would preach the means to heaven, it touched a lot of people's hearts. They would leave, they would come out, and they would be with him, have their time of repentance, their time of expressing their sorrow, and then they would find forgiveness from God as they expressed their trust in him. That's what was going on. Proselyte baptism uh, is what that was. It was the sign and seal of what had happened for them. That was what was the new thing about John's message. Uh, by the way, uh, Mark is a little unique between Matthew and Luke. Uh, Mark is the shortest gospel. Uh, you can talk to me later. I don't think Mark was the first gospel. That's another story. But Mark has a key word, and that is immediately. So as Mark was written, it was given to show people this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. Cut to the chase. I don't need some other information. Tell me something that's interesting. So Mark is the shortest, and Mark is very, very direct. Uh, so when this passage is over, we're going to see Jesus coming on the scene, taking over from the baptizer. And that's when you see like immediately or, or then next, whatever terminology is used. Uh, Mark uh, went through very, very quickly, very, very rapidly, what was going on. When John the baptizer would preach this message, our, our passage is different, I'm showing you the difference now. He's gonna talk about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. What happens when you trust Christ, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit has always been the agent of regeneration. The Holy Spirit didn't suddenly show up after Jesus was resurrected. The Holy Spirit has always been the agent of resurrection. That's why David, when he committed his sin, said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Because the difference between us and them, in the Old Testament period of time, the Holy Spirit would come on when you had saved, when you were converted, when you were generated and had new life. But if you sinned enough, if you didn't listen to God enough, pretty soon God would not, even though you're in his family, God would not continue to have this ringing turn and come back to me in your head. And God's influence, his spirit, would leave. See, David would have seen that in who? King Saul. I think King Saul was a believer. I don't think God would have put an unbeliever as the leader of his people. He's someone who believed and trusted God. But King Saul did many bad things. Now, so did David. King Saul did many bad things, and the Holy Spirit's influence seems to have left him. What made David different? Because some people would say, very true, David did many worse things than Saul. What did David do? David knew how to repent. Psalm 32, Psalm 51, uh, against you only have I sinned. Yeah, I killed this guy, but God, you're the one I have sinned against. And that kind of attitude that we have 
Can I tell you another secret? A lot of Americans, we don't read our Bible every day. If we don't read our Bible every day, what does the Holy Spirit have to work with to give us guidance, to give us peace, to give us wisdom, to let us think about things? So we don't read our Bible every day. I'm assuming you guys are better because uh, I've never got to read how bad we are. Um, but if you're not exposed to God's word, Scripture, what does the Holy Spirit have to work with? So the Holy Spirit worked in David's heart and mind and would draw him back, demonstrating his true faith, but demonstrating he also would listen to God and come back. So David did bad things, but David repented. And when he, and when he repented and confessed, he tended to not make that same terrible mistake again to show that he had some upward growth. Um, this act of self-immersion, the baptism of John, which is different than ours, uh, showed that there was something going on. Repentance, you know, I, there's some uh, Bible words, Christian words that are kind of Christianese. Uh, like, I don't know if you go to work and talk about, yeah, I made a mistake, didn't get my deadline in, I need to repent. What is your boss going to say? What do people say, huh? So repent is one of those words that can zoom, go right over the top. It talks about a radical change of mind. Radical change. Very, very different. Uh, forgiveness. So your sin is sent away. It is not in between you and God. For, for an unbeliever to be forgiven, they are now God's child. Uh, I don't know if any of you have any children, uh, but sometimes people have been known to have conflict with their children. So they're still in their family, but somehow you've got to settle things. So this is our Christian concept of, of forgiveness. I'm, I'm in God's family, but there's still a regular time of confession of this change, returning back to acting like I should, that's required of me even today. Um, and one of God's things, uh, we just talk about the Bible, understand the Bible, and communicate it. I don't think like God, uh, but God seems to communicate to us that repentance and faith, for sin to be removed, blood has to be shed. Uh, similar passage, John chapter 1, verse 29, when Jesus is approaching, and, and of course they knew each other, I said. They were cousins. They probably had lots of conflict, uh, contact with each other over the years. Um, when Jesus comes, what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. The Jewish people listening would have already known the concept of sacrifice and all these kinds of things. So Jesus was presented early, day one of his ministry, as someone who is going to come and give himself and die because his blood was required from us. So remember, why were Adam and Eve cast out of the garden? Well, they sinned, but why? Uh, if you look at that Genesis passage, uh, what did they do? They ate the tr from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What did they learn? They learned what it was like to be sinful. Sometimes it's not good to know everything. I don't have to know everything, um, and I don't have to know how bad things can be. So Satan's presentation was, ha, if you do the wrong thing, you're going to know something that, like God does. Why? You're going to know how bad it is to be sinful. Why were they cast out of the garden? There was another tree in there, the tree of what? Life. If they would have done that, death would have been impossible. You know, angels aren't redeemed. If an angel sins, bang, that's it, they're done. We as humans sin, but why can we be redeemed? Ah, we can die. Death is the outcome. Death is the natural result of sin. Death has to happen. Jesus had to come to die. 
The message of repentance, conversion, uh, coming to God, uh, drew a crowd. Some people present John the Baptizer as somebody who's aloof, didn't talk to anybody, uh, one of those crazy preacher guys. Uh, he would have been very holy. He would have had a, a mission, uh, but he was around people. Why? God sent him to people. Uh, Christian monasticism misses the point. Uh, we're not supposed to just stay with our own little happy group and not talk. Somewhere God's going to give you a chance for a spiritual conversation. Romans chapter 3 says that there's no one who seeks God. What does that mean? If somebody starts talking to you or thinking about, you know, uh, I read this Bible story, or, hey, I wonder what God thinks about this, or what happens when I die, then I think the Holy Spirit is working in that person's heart and mind, and God has sent them to you, and you get to plant or water, or maybe you get to reap, but somehow you have some part of that great commission, because that's why we're here evangelism and discipleship, that's why we're here. Otherwise, when we're saved, we'd go to heaven, right? But God has something for us to do. Ephesians 2.10, workmanship. We are God's workmanship. So the baptizer was spending time with people he wanted to be with them because he was called to witness to them, to prepare the way so they would be more receptive to Jesus. He seems to have traveled, gone different places. And this is the point. He facilitated confession of sin, change, and a humble approach to God. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute, don't worry. Um, John was distinctive. Uh, it's hot here, so I didn't bring a coat. I didn't bring my uh, other jacket. But I have a camel hair coat. Um, it's not like John would wear. Uh, it would have been an inexpensive covering, um, easy to maintain. He just uh, hops out in the water, swims around for a while, come back, air dry. Uh, no problem. Uh, but John would have a camel's hair, the outer garment, um, inexpensive but long-lasting. Uh, he did have a leather belt that he would wrap around that for convenience sake. His food was as simple as basic and his clothing. Uh, talk about something, but, you know, don't worry, I'm not going to do anything strange. Uh, locusts, I live in Seattle. Uh, I know a lot of communities have um, many varieties of protein, Yes. Yes, uh, I don't have a locust in my pocket, don't worry. Uh, but it was very common because, you know, they would have, uh, they lived outside, there would be a lot of swarms and things, locusts would fall over dead. Uh, the average person would, you know, have their little basket, they'd pick some up, and they would remove the legs, remove the wings, leave it out in the sun, because like here, it's sunny every day. But you know what, who wants to, uh, do you eat life cereal? I like life cereal, that's an American cereal, yum, it's uh, uh, got a lot of oats and then a little bit of sugar on the inside, because if I just eat those dry oats, blah, who doesn't, who likes that? But with sugar, it's okay. So notice he had uh, locusts, they generally would uh, let them dry, or sometimes they'd roast them, and have a little bit of honey. Now you think, well, I wouldn't want to eat that. De justibus non est disputatum, there's no accounting for taste. Uh, John probably grew up eating that as a kid. They weren't going to be wealthy. And again, insect eating was not a cool thing. It was a necessary thing. That's what everybody did. So I'm from Seattle. Seattle's famous. Seattle Mariners baseball team. They're the only place in America that would sell grasshopper snacks. If you wanted to go to Seattle Mariners and have your grasshopper snack, that's the advertising page from the Mariners. That's the baseball field in the background. Uh, they started offering them in 2017. They ran out before the season 
was over. Uh, that's a close-up in case you're curious of cooked grasshoppers that you could willingly buy. Instead of having your uh, hot dog and your Coke, uh, you'd probably get a bottle of water and have your grasshoppers yum. So, um, at my church we have children and I do children's story. So, uh, forgive me, just so you'll learn too much about myself. When I did this at my church, I went able, and I was, because I'm in Seattle, I could find the edible grasshoppers. And when I got to this point in my message, I pulled out a stool, I put a plate out, I took my de-winged grasshopper, and I love honey, so I put some honey on there. And I said, now, now I know this is crazy, but you know, people do this all the time. And I picked it up, and I said, I don't want to gross you out. But I turned my back, and they saw me grab my tweezers, and um, tasted like life cereal. That's why I mentioned that. So John could have lived on that for a long period of time. People say, well, what was it like? Can I tell you? It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. Um, as John continues, as he's speaking, and again, I was saying that when he spoke this message, he would speak about baptizing people with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The and with fire comes up in Matthew, and I think it comes up in Luke but it doesn't come up here in Mark. Why? Because primarily the people that were listening to John that day were happened to be believers. Because when the Pharisees and Sadducees would complain, when folks with the scribes would mock, John would address the entire crowd, and he would say, you, essentially, who are coming to God through faith, he will baptize you, immerse you completely in the Holy Spirit, and he will guide you and save you and redeem you. Those who are not, you will be baptized with fire. He was saying that they would not be the ones who went to heaven. So that's why it doesn't say with fire every time. The other two cases, he was being harassed. He was being mocked. Here again, he came to make Jesus' way open. He's making the way open. At the height of his popularity, he now preaches Christ. So John right now is out in the wilderness. If he was here today, he'd uh, write a book. He might be interviewed. There'd be a CNN person there. Uh, he probably would sell some little things on the side, some little John's grasshoppers, a little snack, uh, prayed for by John before you bought them. Uh, no, no, at the height of his popularity, before his arrest, what is he there for? He, for, he does not forget his purpose and his mission and his calling. He's there to preach Christ. So he begins to preach Jesus. After me, one is coming who is mightier than I. Again, his cousin. Do you ever have conflicts with your in-laws? Never. Do you ever have conflicts in your family? Never. Uh, here, my cousin, he's the man. He's the one you're going to be watching for. I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. What's the significance of that? Do you remember John chapter 13? You have the Last Supper. The disciples go upstairs. They sit down. They're waiting to be served. On the way there, they had argued which of them would be the greatest. On the way there, one of them was smart and brought mom. Oh, Jesus, which of my children will you sit on your right hand and your left? Obviously, my two boys, right? Uh, no, no, no. They had the wrong perspective. Jesus is about to die for them, to give his life for them, and they're worried about who gets the best corner office. But Jesus washed their feet. Why? Because there was no one there. Washing feet was generally a job for handicapped people, poor people who couldn't do anything else. Why? Because um, 
People and animals use the same roads at the same time. And there's only so much you're going to be able to be careful where you walk. So if you're going in to sit down, A, to go to somebody's house, B, to eat, and you're reclining at table, that means they've got their elbow down, that means somebody's feet are right there. You're going to provide a foot washer. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 44, Simon gave Jesus no water for his feet. He invited Jesus over to speak, to meet him, to have a meal with him. And Jesus comments, when I came in the house, you didn't have anybody to wash my or anybody else's feet. So this is something that was expected to have happen. Uh, the hearers knew the custom. An honored guest, the boss, would be served by foot washing by someone else. My wife and her sister did the same kind of thing. I mean, in Jakarta, they had the, one of those foot rub things. So very good. That was, so that was almost the case, but not quite. Um, so the baptizer says he is not even worthy to unconnect, to disconnect Jesus' sandals from his feet and wash his feet. So right now, John is the star. John is the popular one. And he says, the one who's coming after me, my cousin Jesus, the Messiah, I'm not even worthy to be the one at the door to wash his feet. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So going beyond the baptizer's work of drawing people to God, Jesus was going to do more. Jesus would cause the Holy Spirit and his gifts to come upon his followers. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit came upon the followers when the church began, the inauguration of the church. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 show that the down payment, the proof that you and I have trusted Christ as our Savior is the permanent, present, and dwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's different between us and them. The church and the new covenant, Israel in the future, have the same foundation, the death of Christ. They have similar benefits, an inward awareness of the forgiveness of sins and an inward continual abiding of the Holy Spirit. So much so that when Paul writes this, he says, hey, right now you have the Holy Spirit in you. Can you sense his leading, sense his guiding, sense his prompting, sense how he teaches you with scripture? All these kinds of things are proofs that the Holy Spirit's gonna be with you. Oh, by the way. He's not going to leave you like he left Saul. You're not going to have to pray, the Holy Spirit, take me away, because we're baptized, immersed by the Holy Spirit into one body, the church, and he is going to continue to be with us forever. What's the point of all this? John's job was to come and talk about Jesus. Guess what? We have the same job. The Great Commission is still in effect. Amen. Let me practice that again. The, Holy, the Great Commission is still in effect. Amen? Amen? Thanks for that. I won't ask you to do any more. Uh, this involves openness for performing any service. Because I don't know if you believe in spiritual gifts. I do. I think spiritual gifts are primarily designed for how we relate to each other. All those things are ways that God's hand is shown through me sometimes, through others sometimes, to each other. So the people we see go to church with are either the source of God's help for us or the recipients of God's help from us. Understanding that we and ourselves are not qualified to take any credit or see ourselves as obligating our master to owe us anything. Uh, we're servants, John chapter, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 17, verses seven through 10. Guy worked hard in the field all day, made his master's supper, was that fair? Oh yeah, why, because he's the master. We owe Jesus everything. And we should be thankful for all 
that the master gives us. He knows our heart. He knows what we need to do. Uh, what are we supposed to do? Um, I started off in a uh, science college, engineering college, before God called me to go preach, and I did not get to take uh, any classes that needed microscopes or telescopes yet. I transferred out, went to Bible college. Uh, but what are we supposed to do? Sometimes we believers see the wrong perspective. Sometimes when we come, we come to church, we come to worship, we spend time with our Christian friends, we act like God wants us to be a microscope and look at all the things that are wrong all the imperfections, you've got a stain there, your shoe's not tied right, your, your belt and your shoes aren't the same color. We've got all these things that we want to be critical about. God has not called us to be microscopes. God has called us to be telescopes. What God wants us to do is look up to the sky, look out and see the grand picture of things that God has done. What kind of world has God given us to worship in? How has God blessed me? What has God done for me? When I prayed to God, how has he either given me perseverance or changed my perspective or helping me be someone who actually sees what God has done? I see that big picture. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession. Why? There's no spiritual gift of criticism, Right? So then we could just nod your head and not say amen. Uh, what God has done is he has given us the opportunity to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we're telescopes to see the big picture and give God the praise. Ask God to help. How do I fit in? Because sometimes life is frustrating. I don't know about for you, but sometimes it's frustrating. You gotta wait, things don't work out right. Uh, go to the doctor, he says, you can't have hamburgers as much as you used to. Um, but you see the big picture. What has God done for me? What can God tell me to do next? And how can I be a source of praise to him? That's what this story is starting off with. John the baptizer came to show the big picture that Jesus is coming. And are you ready to meet him today? Can I pray for a minute? God, thanks for your word. Thanks for helping us refocus on Jesus. Help us to not think of all the things that are going wrong. Help us to focus on your son who makes us ready to be with you in heaven forever. In Jesus' name, everybody said.